0: All right, turn
1: with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll be beginning in verse 14, and give me an amen once you're there. And so, Father, again, we come before you this morning with thanksgiving and praise for all that you've done and all that you're doing in our lives. You are the God of Abraham, of Isaac, And of Jacob, Lord, you made the heavens and the earth, Lord, the mountains, the oceans, all the living creatures, Lord. We all depend on you for our provision, Lord. You bless us, Lord. And this morning, Lord, as we open up your word, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Teach us, Lord. Father, you say in your word that you teach the humble your way. So I pray, Lord. Remove any hardness of heart, any pride, and Lord, give us your humility. Pour out your grace. Teach us, Lord, may it be all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, amen. Amen. All right, so, as you know, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church that he planted four years prior, the Corinthian church. Corinth, as you know, was a notoriously immoral place notoriously immoral. The Greek uh, geographer uh, Strabo, who lived during Paul's day, said this concerning Corinth. He said that it was wealth, it was a wealthy port, uh, but not only because of its fortunate trade location, that Isthmus, where it was at, uh, the trade route was perfect for any city growth, right? It was The ships coming from Italy to Asia passed right by there. And he says it wasn't wealthy. Corinth wasn't wealthy just because of that choice trade route, but because of its temple, Aphrodite, which was the goddess of lust and passion and love. The temple was so rich, he said, that it owned more than a thousand temple slaves Uh, courtesans, which were basically prostitutes, whom both men and women had dedicated to the goddess. And therefore, it was also on account of these temple prostitutes that the city was crowded with people and grew rich. And so part of the reason why it was so populated was because travelers went there in order to uh, be with these prostitutes. And so the city grew rich rich and it was crowded for instance he says the ship captains freely squandered their money in the temple brothels and hence the common proverb not for every man is the voyage to corinth and so that's a wicked city to say the least and the church of corinth was doing well in one sense that god was saving all of these people out of such a perverse city it's just a, a beautiful work of God's grace. Like no matter how bad the place is, no matter how bad California is, this is a spot to be for souls. It's so bad here, morally. And so this is the place to really fish for souls. We're in the right place. Corinth was wicked, it was perverse and yet God had a lot of people there. But because of the background of the church of the city being so immoral, because the temples were there, in Corinth was a hub for perversity. In fact, uh, when they referred to a fornicator, they just called him a Corinthian. But by God's grace, one can be a godly Corinthian. But in the church, the Corinthians, there were, there were some within the church who were backsliding, falling back into the old ways in their old lives of sexual immorality, idolatry, living for themselves. And so he's addressing the church to be careful. Be careful as he deals with the church, desiring that the church be holy, be pure, because God called them out of the life that they, that that perverse life they used to be in. And so uh, Paul would say in this chapter earlier, he would tell them to look towards the father's the history of the Israelites. When one becomes a Christian, the history of Moses and the fathers and the prophets, all of that becomes all of our history. All of us, whether we're a Jew or not, whether we're Jew or Greek or whatever, it all becomes an example for us. Their story of the fathers. Yes, they become our fathers. The Lord would say, learn from their examples. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware of the fathers. He said that we're all under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank that same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And so, Look to the story of the Israelites in Exodus. Look to how God saved them, blessed them, and pulled them out of bondage because it is a total picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. We were lost in our sins. We lived in darkness, outer darkness, separated from God. Our sins hindered us from having a relationship with God. But Jesus was God's lamb and sacrifice who died on the cross. For our sins, not for his his own. Our sins were placed upon him. And his righteousness was placed upon us. And on the third day he rose from the dead. And you and I are able to rise now and live new lives. Different lives. The old man, the old woman was crucified with them. The immorality that we used to live. Like the Corinthians at the temple. That old life, it's done. We can live a new life. And as the Lord saved the Israelites through the Red Sea and the cloud that led them. And as they were thirsty in the wilderness and God provided water from the rock and that rock was Christ. As he provided manna from heaven. So God has blessed Christians, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who look to Jesus for their salvation. Those who call Jesus not just Savior, but King and Master and Lord. There's a blessing for us, is there not? But he is sharing with the Corinthian church. Don't take sin lightly. He didn't want them to have a false sense of security. We just, I just read to you how, though God blessed them and saved them, He was not pleased with most of them. Most of them turned away from God. Can you imagine seeing all of the great works that God had done for them? Yet they would turn from the Lord, and only two would make it into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. And so what he wants the church to know is that if, if God punished, brought judgment upon his people in the Old Testament, then be careful not to take sin lightly. Don't go backwards. Don't go to the old life. Because if he judged them, don't be surprised if he judges you. Those who love Jesus Christ, the Bible says, those who have been born again, do, they do not practice sin anymore. We sin every day, but we don't practice it. And so he says to be careful. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know what they did in the wilderness, though they saw God's great works. They rose up to play. They rose up to eat and drink and play. And they fornicated sexual immorality. Moses was gone and out of their sight. He went up to a mountain to pray to get the commandments of the Lord. And they told Aaron, this Moses, this leader God has for us, we don't know where he's at. We can't see him. You make us a God that we can give credit to who saved us out of Egypt. And you know the story. Aaron says, well, let me have all your gold earrings. And they made a golden calf and said, well, this is your God who pulled you out of of Egypt. They committed idolatry. They, it was spiritual fornication. They worshipped the false god, the, the creation, rather than the creator. They committed sexual immorality. They complained against God and Moses. And so with all of these things, the apostle says to the church, be careful. Beware, guys, right? Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. God wants us to live a life that's fully dependent on him, a life of humility that understands if I'm not dependent on God, I am liable to fall. If it's not by the grace of God, there go I. We can only stand through Christ. Without him, we will fall. And then you have the beautiful promise where he says to them, You know, all temptation is common to man. He says to me, it's a hopeful statement, right? He says, "All, all temptation is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's no temptation that goes through our mind, there's no temptation that will hit our lives that we cannot say no to and overcome by the power of God. There is no temptation. This is why God's going to be able to righteously judge this world who rejects them, who rejects him because they're not going to be able to say, well, you know, the devil made me do it or, or it's just the way you made me. no. If you wanted to say no to sin, Christ was the way of escape that you rejected. And they will bow the knee before him. They will confess that Jesus is Lord, and then they will be sent to hell with Satan and his angels. If you think about the Israelites being saved from Egypt and that slavery that they were in, if you think about the darkness and the bondage that Jesus has saved us from, It should mean so much to us, that grace that we receive from God, that love that we didn't deserve, that mercy that we didn't deserve. It should mean so much to us that we would be willing to do anything. Grace that you've been saved. Jesus spoke so much about hell. It's a place where the worm doesn't die. The worm doesn't die. Strange concept. Nobody likes worms to nibble on them. They eat dead bodies, don't they? They eat dead flesh. Hell is a place where the worm doesn't die. There's a constant, torturous, biting. It's a place where the where thirst is not quenched. It's so hot. It's so dry that uh, you, you know people in hell will be desperate. It's not even a word for wanting drink. It's a place that's dark and isolated, outer darkness. It's a place of gnashing of the teeth, where it's so torturous and so lonely and so, words can't describe it. Gnashing of teeth, it's so torturous. It's like people losing their minds in their sin for millions and millions and millions of years. That is why Christ came. He came to save us from that. That's what he did for me. That's what he did for you. So what is it that Christ asks you and I to do that is too much for us to do? What is it? That's why the Apostle Paul said, it is the love of Christ that compels me. That's why all of the apostles, minus John the Beloved, all of them were killed. All of them, they went all over the world to preach and were killed for it. Why? Because the blood of Jesus was worth it to them. It's the grace of God that compels us to do what's right. And so he says here, Christ is the way of escape. There is no temptation. That's why we're changed people. We used to be a part of these Aphrodite's temples, sort of say, when we were in the world. We did whatever we felt was right in our own eyes. We, we lived the party life, the sexual and moral life. We did like the world did. We ate and drank and we're married for tomorrow we die. That was our philosophy. That was my philosophy. That's what we were. But Christ changes people and he changed me. I belong to Jesus. See, the, 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 the deal is he forgives us by his grace and love. And then we belong to him. And I remember that day I said, absolutely, I belong to you. I'll do anything. You saved me, I'll do anything. Jesus said, he who is forgiven much loves much. He who is forgiven little loves little. Why do some Christians love a little? Because they've lost the consciousness of what Christ has done for them. Remember, he was on his knees with the cross And the women were were crying for him. And he said, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for your children. I mean, you look at that vision of him carrying the cross. And he couldn't anymore. So they got Simon, a man from Serene, to carry the cross for him. I mean, that was for us. So Paul says, he saved you. He's the way of escape. And he says, therefore, in verse 14, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. He mentions that. Flee from idolatry. He's going to get into the idolatry, the literal idolatry of that meat that was, the animals that were sacrificed at the temple of Aphrodite, that the meat was then uh, Purchased by some of the believers were stumbling at the fact, man, I can't eat this meat. It was offered to a pagan god. He's going to get into all of that. But here he he begins by saying, you need to flee idolatry. Everything that they're doing at that temple, that sexual immorality, the sacrificing of the animals, all of that wickedness, all of that perversion, you need to get as far away from it as possible. The word flee means to run with speed away and that's how Christians ought to respond to temptations and the things of this world that are not good for us. We should run the other way. In fact, God says, avoid even the appearance of evil. Don't go near the temple. Don't do anything that looks like you're doing the same thing they're doing. Just just no appearance of it at all. Live a different life. Idolatry. now. When you think of idolatry, you think of perhaps a little idol that someone might might make of gold or silver or wood or something. A little idol like this. Oh, I don't think many Christians would make a little idol and put it in their home and worship that. We wouldn't be that blatant with God, of course. Idolatry, sure, I flee it. I don't do that. Idolatry basically means, in a spiritual sense, that we're putting something else in God's place. And the greatest idolatry is that of ourselves. God has His Word, and I have my feelings and my thoughts on the matter. You go back to the cross and you realize, Jesus, I don't care about my feelings. I don't care about my philosophies or my thoughts on the matter. You say jump, I say how high. That's how much it means to me that you saved me. I'm going to trust in you that if I follow your word, your directions for my life, your guidance for my life, if I do that, which I, I in my flesh, it's hard. It's not my personality. I'm not really that kind of person. But if I yield to you, Lord, I trust you because of the cross and because of you, you saved me, I'll do it and I know that in honoring you and obeying your word, I'm going to have life and that much more abundantly. There's going to be such joy, such life in my soul that because I do what you say. in Jesus, everyone he called, he said, follow me. He didn't say, follow me, but, you know, let's make a deal about what things you will do and what things you will not do for me. I'm preaching the truth here in love. I cannot live that way. You cannot live that way. It's Lord, what would you have me to do? And what he's saying is I want you to flee the idolatry of doing your own will, your own will. It's the worship of self will. It's the worship of self weak, of, of, of self weakness. It's the worship of excuses. They bound our Lord to a cross. They scourged him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They spit on him. I don't, I don't think that felt good. Feelings are irrelevant. He took the cup that his father gave him to drink in order to save us. There are so many believers. It's all about convenience. It's all about my timing. It's all about what I want to do. It's all about my parameters. The Apostle Paul was blinded for three days when he was saved. Three days. Why? Because all kinds of things were happening within his heart. He realized that Jesus was Lord. But his one word to Jesus was, What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? And God would say, Avoid idolatry. Don't live for what you think is right. He's got plans that are outside of our expertise for us. He's got life, he's got plans for us that that if it wasn't for him we wouldn't know how to do it. If he doesn't give us the strength, if he doesn't give us the energy, if he doesn't give us the love, we're not going to do it. We can't do it. We can't do it, Lord. That's how he works. I'm here preaching not because, you know, I rolled out of bed one day and thought, I think I can be a good preacher. It was a calling. It was a job that he wanted done. That's all I'm doing. I'm nothing. And he and Paul says, be ready in season and out of season to preach the word. That means if you feel like it, Ryan, or don't feel like it, it's irrelevant. It, it's not, re- it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. The apostle Paul, he was beaten. He was bruised. He was shipwrecked. He was hated on. He was totally persecuted physically they beat him down and he kept going they they all they knocked him out one time and they all thought he was dead and like oh man he lived a good life and then he popped up and but he and he went back he just kept going. what what it what's where's that drive from he was forgiven much loves much that's where the drive is there's no sacrifice too too big for one who is You know, Mary Magdalene, seven demons. He healed her from seven demons. Not six, not three, not two. Seven demons. Mary Magdalene would do anything for her, Lord. That's where we need to be. That is freedom from idolatry. Lord, what do you want me to do? So many have put in the place of the Bible their hobbies, their careers, their money, their possessions, relationships. I would, but I'm I'm too busy trying to get the girl, get the guy, get the whatever. I'm too busy trying to build my life to do what the Lord wants me to do. Be careful for my idolatry. Follow the Lord. Obey the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He says, "If you," he goes, a new commandment I give to you that you love the brethren. There's so much he says. Anyways, therefore, my beloved brethren, flee idolatry. I speak to you, I speak to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Now, with the idea of warning the church to flee idolatry, he says to them, I speak to wise men. I speak to as as to to you as to wise men. In chapter um eight, he says that we know that an idol is nothing. Those idols that they worship there in Corinth, Paul tells the Corinthian church, we know that it's nothing. Right? We're not afraid of the boogeyman. Those idols are nothing. I'm not afraid of the boogeyman. You're not afraid of the boogeyman. I ain't afraid of the devil. Don't be afraid of these idols. These idols are nothing. They're nothing. Don't be afraid. I know who I am afraid of. I'm afraid of the one who after he kills the body can kill the soul and that is our God. Stronger is he who is in us and he who is in the world.
0: Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 8.30 a.m. and at 10.30 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicollet Street in Banning, California. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram.